So we're going to look at people like that in the Bible. Have any of you ever heard of uh, John the Baptist? Right? He was one. We're not going to talk about him tonight, but he's just another uh, guy that comes to mind when you think of someone who lives differently than everybody else, who lives against the grain, so to say. He, he, just, he lived in the wilderness right, and ate locusts and that whole deal. Right, He was just different than other people, but God did incredible things through him. So tonight we're going to be looking at the life of Moses, but uh, you can find the life of Moses in Exodus, but we're going to actually be in Acts chapter 7. You can see a really good summation. Uh, Stephen, one of the first martyrs, uh, one of the first Christian martyrs, that is, actually gives this long speech, and he sort of sums up the life of Moses. And we're not going to read through that. I'm actually going to kind of tell you through what I call the JJSV version of the, the JJ standard version of the story of Moses. But I want to give you a spoiler alert. Acts chapter 7, verse 35 and 36. If you don't know the story of Moses and the Israelites, spoiler alert right here, okay? So I want, to see, I want us to read this, and this is kind of where things end up, and then I want to go back and talk through the story and see how we got there, okay? So Acts chapter 7, verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, he's talking about the Hebrews, or the Israelites have rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So we're going to stop there, right? So this is how things ended up, that Moses actually brought rescue to the Hebrew people, who would then eventually go on to be called the Israelites, or Jewish people as we would know them today, right? He brought rescue from them. They were in slavery in Egypt. He ended up being their leader as they were th through the wilderness, the, the main sort of head honcho, not king, but ruler that God spoke through, and he was their redeemer. He was the one who, who rescued them, right? So that's how it, it ended up. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. And some of you who've grown up in church, like you know this story, but it, it is never, nothing in Scripture is ever so old hat that you can't ever hear it again, okay? There's always different things that we can hear in how God works in people's lives and the things that these people did. Okay, so Moses, he was, when he was born, the Hebrews were in slavery to the Egyptian. At this time, the Pharaoh had realized how big the nation of the Hebrews had gotten, how many of them were. At the point of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and going into the wilderness, we estimate that they were roughly near a million people. So it was not this just like group of like four or five hundred people escaping slavery or something like this. This was a nation of a million people. It's like double the amount of people who live in Huntsville, right? So like it's like a million people escaping slavery, right? So in the time that Moses was born, the Pharaoh realized how big this, this group of people had gotten. He was worried about them rising up against him and those kinds of things. So he had issued this decree for actually all of the babies under a certain age, male babies under a certain age to be killed so that the Hebrews couldn't, like a generation of Hebrews would, would pass away and not have more of them and that kind of thing to kind of like manage their numbers, which is a really terrible, terrible thing for anyone to do, right? So, so anyway, they're doing this, and Moses' mom decides to, for whatever reason, that it was best to put him in this like basket thing and then set him afloat on a, on a river to hope that somebody would find him and rescue, and at least that was better than her witnessing him being murdered by the Pharaoh's people. Isn't that crazy? Anybody? Are you guys awake? Yeah, you guys are all just staring at me like, 
what's happening, right? You can wake up. I know it's a long day at school, the whole deal, right? Focus in, let's engage, let's interact here. We're friends, I hope. You know, the whole deal, right? And so he's, he set afloat in this deal. And then, well, luck would have it, the, one of the Pharaoh's daughters found him, brings him in as her own, and just in somehow, some would say coincidence, I would say not, the Pharaoh's daughter ends up getting, who happens to be Moses' biological mother, to come in and be his caretaker. So Moses is saved from being murdered, is brought into the royal palace, and then is raised by his own biological mother in the royal palace. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, like, that's insane that that whole circumstance even happens, right? And so Moses grows up, is educated uh, in the palace, lives the royal life and that whole deal. And, and we don't know necessarily the relationship that he had directly with Pharaoh or anything like that. It doesn't really tell us those kinds of things. I would imagine he, didn't, he wasn't like bros with the Pharaoh or anything like that. Like they weren't, I would, I would imagine they're not friends. Later in life, we would kind of figure, find that out, right? But uh, so Moses grows up. And then at some point, obviously his biological mother had told him and he knew that he was different than the Egyptians, that he was a Hebrew. He was born uh, from the Hebrew nation and was brought in and raised and that kind of thing. And so he knew that those were his people that were in slavery, that that was, that was his people. And uh, one day he was, he decided he wanted to go out among his people and kind of wander and walk and that kind of thing. And he saw one of the Egyptian uh, military guys or whoever who was, who was being, uh, basically he was, he was being mean. He was beating some of the uh, Hebrews and that kind of thing. And so Moses confronts him, and in their altercation, the Egyptian guy ends up dying. So Moses has now accidentally basically murdered this Egyptian guy. Everybody tracking with me? You following the story at this point? Mo- again, most of you know this story, right? But this, this, this helps us kind of establish how incredibly cool this is that God would choose to use Moses. Okay? So he, he ends up um, accidentally murdering this guy. And that most of us know the story is that he then like immediately just like wanders and like runs away. Uh, but it was actually like the next day he comes back out. Like he, he didn't like just immediately run away. Like he actually stuck around for a little bit. The next day he comes back out into the same area among these Hebrews and things, trying to have conversations with them. And, th- and that's where like this right here in Acts, whenever Stephen says, um, this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, right? Like this is there are different times in his leading of the nation of Israel that they would ask that question. Who made you the boss? Any of you ever said that to anybody? Who made you the boss? If you have siblings, an older sibling especially, you've probably said that to them. Who made you the boss, right? And that whole deal, right? This is kind of that whole deal, but this is where it all starts. He comes back out and he's talking to them, and I think, and like, well, who made you, you know, the, the a ruler who put you in that, yada, yada. And at this point, he starts to realize that even though he had done what he felt was the right thing in the moment, the Hebrew people didn't see him as really a part of their people, and they didn't really respect him in any way, and so he decides it's best to leave, right? He's murdered an Egyptian person, is now rejected by his own people. He is basically a full outcast. He has nowhere to go. So then he leaves Egypt, wanders out into the Egyptian wilderness, ends up having to beg his way into being a shepherd, and does that for a while. And then one of the most famous stories, he ends up encountering, anybody want to guess? A burning bush, right? And so some, somewhere along the way, he's, he's doing his shepherding thing. And then all of a sudden, there, he sees this bush that's on fire. And I don't know how, I don't know how, 
have you ever imagined what that would be like? Anybody just like sit and imagine what that'd be like? You're just like wandering around. He's like doing his thing, whatever. That's imagine. I imagine he walks like this, right? And then uh, you see something on fire and he's like, what? I'm going to expect that more, you know, and like maybe he takes some water to go like try to put it out. And then all of a sudden he realizes that like it's on fire, but it's not actually burning. I don't even know if I can imagine fully what that would look like. Like I've seen like cartoon animation of that, but like in real life, what does that look like for something to be burning, but not like on fire, but not actually burning, not actually being consumed, not melting, not, you know, whatever. And if that wasn't crazy enough, all of a sudden, like a voice speaks from the bush. Moses, right? I can't imagine Like he'd probably, I'd probably pee my pants at that point. I like you're by yourself in the woods or wilderness, not really woods. Uh, you're, you're by yourself in the wilderness. There's this crazy on fire, but not on fire bush. And then all of a sudden you, someone says your name and you're like looking around, like who's snuck up on me or something like that. You pull a sword, you know, ready to fight. And then it's, but it's the voice of God. Moses, apparently much wiser and, and cooler than me, realized that this pretty quickly, that this was God. Begins to bow before this bush, this voice coming uh, from this bush. And, and God tells him to take off his sandals because where he is is holy ground. He is in the presence of God. It's holy ground. And so in this moment, he's standing before God, kneeling before God now at this point. And God speaks from the bush, and he starts to tell Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to speak to the Pharaoh and tell him to set my people free. I cannot imagine what thoughts would go through Moses' brain at that point. But we know he starts to begin, begin to make up excuses, right? One of the first ones he says is, well, well Lord, I have a, a speech impediment. Like, I can't talk so good, right? This is kind of, this, again, this is a JJSV. You should go over in Exodus and read this for yourself, right? But basically, he, he tries to make up the excuse that he has some sort of, there's some sort of speech thing he has that keeps him, what he thinks, makes him unqualified and unfit to be the spokesperson for a nation of people to try and set them free, and God says, okay, I'll take care of that. You know, your brother Aaron, he's going to come along, and he's going to actually be, help be your mouthpiece. Moses like, oh, crap, he figured that out, I guess. Uh, and he starts to just tr- try to come up with all these other excuses. Well, you know, like, I'm, I'm unwanted there. I'm an outcast there. I'm wanted for murder, probably. Like, and he just starts to come up with all these reasons why he's unworthy, why he's unfit, why he shouldn't be the person to do this. And God just continually says, go. Go, I've chosen you. I want you to go. I want you to go. And eventually Moses has run out of all these excuses and has realized that God wants him to do this thing. And so he steps out in faith, wanders back into Egypt and makes his way before Pharaoh. I mean, I, I cannot, I don't know. Have you, has anyone, um, this, okay. Do not answer out loud. Do not raise your hand or whatever, but like, have you ever messed up so bad, like disobeyed your parents so bad that you thought, man, they're never going to love me again. Or it was like awkward the next time you saw them, like you walked downstairs from your room or something and you're like, hey, sorry. You know, like you just, is anyone, I mean, have you guys ever experienced that moment where you felt like you've just messed up so bad? Like there's no coming back from it. Moses is now having to come back from the place where he had messed up so bad. I can't imagine what that would feel like, the weight that would be on him as he enters into Egypt, as he sees the pyramids being built, you know, that whole deal. And then he goes to the palace that he grew up in, and spent 40 years in. He had grown up in this place, 
and then go before the Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh to set his free workforce of almost a million people free. And the Pharaoh, of course, just laughs at him, right? And so then sets in course, and we're not going to go through every single one of these, but the ten plagues, right? You guys familiar with the story of the ten plagues that, that go through uh, Egypt? And, and Moses, there's this back and forth where Moses comes before the Pharaoh and says, set, you know, set the people free. The Pharaoh says no, and Moses does a thing. And then sometimes the Pharaoh's, like, magicians or whoever conjure up a thing to try and replicate what it is to show that he's just faking it. And, some, and they can't ever quite fully replicate what Moses is doing. They can do things that are illusions that look similar, but they're not really, really to the level of what Moses was doing. And then finally, the last one, the Passover, where the Hebrews put the blood of a, a pure lamb on their doorpost. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, basically goes through Egypt, killing the firstborn sons of anyone who does not have the blood over the doorpost. That's a whole other story for another time, and how that connects to Jesus and the salvation that he brings and how his blood rescues us and those kinds of things. But it's finally at that point that Pharaoh says, okay, you guys can go. Moses gathers up the people, they begin to exit, and, they, and then all of a sudden the Pharaoh, I guess, has second thoughts or something. He says, wait a second, all these people are leaving, how am I going to finish building the pyramids, how am I going to do this, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And so he starts with his army, he starts to chase the Hebrews at this point. They start to come behind him to try and capture him and bring him back into, into slavery they're trying, the Hebrews are trying to exit, they're trying to go, and they're leaving, and all of a sudden they're faced with the Red Sea, and I'm, I can't imagine, I mean, you have a million people, it's hard enough to keep you guys, like, focused on what we're doing if we're all, like, moving as a crowd to go somewhere, I can't imagine Moses trying to, like, corral almost a million people, they come to water, and everybody's, like, freaking out, like, what are we going to do, My, you know, I can't swim, you know, whatever, you know, all these things, like, how, what are we going to do, the, the Pharaoh and his people are behind us, they're trying to, they're going to kill us, or whatever, they're going to drag us back, and all these things, and then Moses steps out, raises his staff. You guys hopefully know this all right. He raises his hands, his staff, and all of a sudden God just parts the sea. And they walk through on dry land and go to the other side. And as Pharaoh and his people are in the, uh, in the water, collapses down on them. Which, interestingly, some, you know, some argue the uh, historical accuracy of this. I'm pretty sure in the last few years they have found some evidence of this in the Red Sea. Just, so, just in case you're wondering. That's just a side note. Bonus here. Right. And then so... From there, the rest is kind of history, and we won't get into all that, but they wander around in the desert for what ends up being 40 years. I think I told you 80, I was wrong. Uh, ends up being 40 years, and then they finally get to go into the promised land and that whole deal. Moses is seemingly one of the worst choices for God to make in someone to be the representative of a nation, to lead a nation, and to set them, help set them free from slavery. But what you'll see as you read through Scripture, as you, as you read through the stories of those God chooses to use, time and time and time again, God uses the unlikely, He uses the unfit, and He uses the unworthy. Because the reality is, is that every person is unworthy. Every person is unfit. Every single one of us are broken. Every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us have sinned, which disqualifies us, but God still chooses to step in and use us, and he used Moses. The interesting thing about Moses is I actually don't know, even though he seems by worldly standards as someone who's unfit to really do this, if you actually look at it, though, he might actually have been the only person who was able to do it, right? He was a Hebrew. He was actually one of those people. He was an Israelite, but he also knew 
the ways of the royalty. He knew the ways that the, he knew how the Pharaoh worked. He knew how the palace worked. He knew the legal system. He was educated enough to talk to them on their level and all those kinds of things. And at that point when he was there, he didn't identify, the Hebrews didn't think he identified with them because he was of the royalty. He was, he didn't, wasn't raised the same way they were. He didn't go through the hardship that they went through and that kind of thing. But then when he spent all that time in the wilderness having to work like manual labor stuff and, and being a shepherd, which is one of like the lowest jobs of the time and that kind of thing, and spent time paying his dues and doing the hard work and in suffering and being an outcast and all this. When he comes back to Egypt, he then actually does identify with his people, has seen similar life to his people, and is once again like his people, but yet still has the knowledge and the inner workings of the palace and has, like, can you imagine stepping before the most powerful man in the world at the time and asking him to set his slaves free? But Moses knew the Pharaoh. He knew the situation. He knew how all that worked and was able to step in and do that with his whatever amount of courage he could muster to do at that point. And so really, even though it looks like at one hand he's not the right guy to do it. He was really the only person who could have done it. Now, what I want you to understand is that God did not make those things happen to Moses. God didn't make him uh, like murder a person and then be outcast and that whole deal. But what God does do is takes our brokenness and takes the ways that we mess up and still uses them to bring about his own glory and his good, to bring about redemption. Over and over and over again, you see that throughout scripture and you see that throughout history. You see that hopefully in your own lives. And the people, maybe the people who have brought you along, the people who have mentored you and those kinds of things, like you see that God takes these situations that seemingly are meant for evil and turns them for good. I just, I find that astonishing. God used Moses' unique experiences to set him up to be the person that would then set his people free so that they could go into what is the promised land. What in your life can God use to help set people free around you? Obviously, the people you know in your life are not in what we would call slavery in the same way that the Hebrews were. But there are people in your life who are lost, who do not know Jesus and need salvation, need to be set free. So what unique setting do you find yourself in? You're like, well, there's like a hundred people on the football team and like the band has a million people in it and the whole deal, I'm not unique or whatever, but I don't know, maybe you're the only person who sits next to the person you sit next to in the trombone section or whatever it is, or, you know, you're the one who lines up next to the other guy on the off, you know, on defense and the whole deal. Like you, you, there is still some kind of setting that you find yourself in that you are the person that God has chosen to be in that context with the people around you so that you could be used to help set those people free. Now, I think a lot of us would then start, just like Moses, doing a lot of the same things of like, well, I'm unqualified, I'm messed up, I don't know all the answers, I don't know all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. And God continually puts you in, these, in this context, the, the context you find yourself in, the setting that you find yourself in, so that you can be used to set people free. And I want to take a second, for all of us, just you can go ahead and put away all your stuff, wants to just kind of focus in, close our eyes. Let's do a moment of reflecting. 
as we think through this, right? God using the unlikely, the unfit, the unworthy in your life. Not messing with the people around you, really focusing on what I'm talking about this one. Okay, close your eyes. How many, how many of you, you're not raising your hand or anything, you're just thinking of this to yourself, okay, how many of you feel unqualified to be used by God? How many of you feel like there's just something wrong with you that keeps you from being used by God? You see, God is not, the reason God can go against the grain and he can go against the conventional is because he's not bound by that. In woodworking, you go with the grain because it makes it more beautiful God is not bound by any of that. He takes what we think is only meant for ugly and terrible and makes, some, makes it somehow beautiful. God, God can use someone broken and messed up like Moses. He can use you. What are the things that come to mind right now that make you feel unqualified to be used by God? Just take a second and think through that. What are those things? In this moment, as you think about those things, the things that you think, you feel, unqualify you from being able to be used by God, ask God to help you see past those things. To realize that we can be used no matter what. There are some in the room, I would bet, that you're, you're not a Christian, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and maybe you think or feel that you're too broken, you're too unworthy, you've messed up too big to ever be a Christian, to ever follow Jesus, for Jesus to ever love you or anything like that. What I want you to know is that Jesus loves you right where you are, no matter how broken you think you are, no matter how messed up you are, no matter how big you think you've messed up, Jesus loves you. And so offer salvation to you as much as he does to everyone else. All he wants you to do is to believe in him and to follow him. If that's you, if you're, if you're, in a place where you are finally realizing that Jesus can rescue you, that can bring you salvation, no matter how big you've messed up. There are adult leaders in the room that would love to talk to you about that, would love to pray with you and answer any questions you might have. And then others of you who are already, already followers of Jesus, if, you, if there's some things you do need to talk about and you need to talk through maybe how God can help you be used even through some of the brokenness and stuff, the adult leaders want to talk to you about that too. Let me pray and then we're going to sing one more song. Father, I thank you that you use the unlikely, that you go against the grain, that you love us no matter how broken we think we are. It is by your power and your glory that we can be used by you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.